Hey and hello watch fans and welcome to the long-awaited live episode 10 of WASP. Watching sports and sporting watches. I like it, he's been practicing his American sportscaster accent since our last show which was quite a while ago. Yeah, because you're lazy. I'm lazy, but it's good to be back together. I'm not lazy today because I've made it all the way from Dresden True. to Karlsruhe just to see you. True. Well, not just to see you actually, we have been doing something together. Would you like to tell the audience what that is? Me or you? You. Okay. Um, so we recorded a watch hunting episode, Folklore 24. We did. It was quite interesting. It well, was, I was. It was like speed dating, only with watches. True, true enough. And three, three uh, watches at the time. I mean, per segment, right? Right, right, right. So go over to Chrome 24, check it out. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. Anyway, we have stayed late, as you might be able to see, to record the promised episode. The episode that has been coming for how many months now? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, not close to a year, but almost. Not close to a year. The podcast isn't yet a year old. We're about eight and a half months into it. But yeah, it's been three, four months since we hit episode nine. So wait, this is 9.9. Last one was 9.91. Yep. Then we did an interview. Hopefully that will come out before this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should so this will be that. 9.92 and this will be 10. This is 10. This yeah. is episode 10. We yeah. have actually made it finally to double figures. And I don't know, should we promise that episode 20 no. will also be live? No, no. We're not going to put that kind of stress on I would on love ourselves. to, but well, maybe, maybe I'm not. unreliable and I'm lazy, apparently. You know how it is. But tell yep. me, what are you wearing today, talking of watches that are going to end up on wrists? Right. So I'm wearing a Grana vintage military chronograph. This is from the Second World War, the 1940s. Um, and it's a quite big watch. It's a 38 millimeter steel mm-hmm. case with a Venus movement in it, um, two subdials. And you haven't, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's an inscription on the back. Let's have a look. That's a Hungarian inscription. I don't speak Hungarian. Yeah. Onv Legirok. Okay. Tula Never mind. Never mind. It means a property of the Hungarian Air Forces. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, this is, um, this is a watch I don't really wear too often because it's a bit, uh, well, it's old and I'm a bit afraid that I'm going to ruin it. So uh, yeah, that's my choice for today. But you got something cool in this one. I've got a real man's watch. Uh, this is a uh, late 60s um, Rolex Oysterdate Precision. Size? Uh, distinguished, I would say. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's 35 mil, maybe. It's a maybe 34 a mil real unisex I mean, watch. it's, it's, it's a 34 watch. wet through. Um, it's actually on right now, uh, a modern Forstner um, Comfort JB Mesh, which, as you will know if you read any of my articles about Forstner on Fratello, is my favorite aftermarket bracelet in the world, and I have a bunch of them on a load of watches. It's the horn end one, it's the modern width, it's 18 millimeters, which sits nicely between the 90 millimeter lugs. It's weird, like you see it actually bears on the side of the case, Mm -hmm. so it kind of extends the length of what is, yes, by modern standards, a pretty small watch, but um, I've got a pretty small wrist. You don't really see this, uh, the Forstner often on a Rolex, right? No, you don't often, because like oftentimes, like a Rolex bracelet is kind of integral to the whole Rolex look, but the one that I got on this, which I picked up for, well, an absolute song, to be honest. I paid 1,200 euros for it. The bracelet is totally original, totally intact, and at its full original length, but it had been resized just by moving the micro-adjustment all the way to the end of a clasp. So one side of it was like horrendously long, and one side was horrendously short. And it was the old slide links um, on the Rolex 
uh, bracelets, which are an absolute nightmare to change, and I don't have any appropriate tools in Germany, so rather than risk it, I put it onto this Forstner, and to be honest, I prefer it. I like That's it. That's very cool. Yeah. You're probably a trendsetter. Well, one would hope. Um, I think it looks like uh, an era-appropriate choice for this watch. You know what? Years. Once you go home, because Rob is sleeping at my place tonight, because he's staying in Karlsruhe. Tell him that. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. uh, I'm going to put my GMT 1675 on a Forstner bracelet. You have one kicking around at your place? Yeah. Uh, look uh, to 1675, I only have one kicking around in my place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also have a few Forstens as well. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's see how that looks. There's been some good stuff coming out of Forsten this year, yeah. I think. You know, we recently reviewed on Fratello the President bracelet, the, uh, well, the 1450 President, as they call it. So it's a bit of a mix of everything. And I've now put that on my Speedmaster Broad Arrow and also on my Seamaster 300M. And, I've been sort of cycling both those watches through a load of straps and a load of bracelets because I was never quite happy with the originals. I, like a lot of Speedmaster fans, I think, don't really like the era of Speedmaster bracelet. We're talking late 90s. Mike mm -hmm. Broad Arrows from 98. Yeah. So you know the one I mean yeah. with like the, uh, I guess, five segments. I yeah. mean, it's really just solid links, but with the line of brushed, polished, brushed, yeah. polished, brushed. And it's a bit of a lump and it doesn't, it's not very elegant. And the same is doubly true of a 300M bracelet, which doesn't taper at all. So I wanted something a little lighter and I went through, had the flat link from Forstner on the broad arrow for a while and then I popped it onto one of these, exactly one of these actually. And I loved it on that, but my girlfriend occasionally steals my Speedmaster on, on Speedy Tuesday. Classy lady. Yeah, she is. She's dedicated to the cause, um, but she hates the mesh. She hates it. I don't know why. I think it's fantastic and incredibly comfortable and easy to resize. But as soon as I put it on the President 1450, she like fell in love with it and I don't think I'm going to see my Speedmaster for a while now. Still a classy lady, but we need to talk with her about this I hatred think, for the I mesh. think it's something that comes with time. I really yeah. do. Like She's in this phase now that I was definitely in myself about five years ago when I just rejected flat out any kind of aftermarket bracelet. I only wanted the originals, mm. the original straps, the original bracelets. Anything else was an abomination. I really believed that. I felt like that. And now I'm the exact opposite. So what are you going to take next week when you go into Sweden? Right. Okay. So we don't know when this video is going to come out exactly. I probably will have already been and hopefully made it back in one piece from Sweden. I'm going up to Karuna with Fortis to do some testing, some very exciting movement testing with a commercial space travel facility. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'll be going on a helicopter for the first time because we're going to, we're going to do some pretty special stuff. Um, what am I going to take with me? I guess I'm going to take my Breitling Aerospace because I figure it can handle the potentially very low temperatures there. At the moment when we checked uh, the temperature rate and it's going to be about minus five in the daytime to minus eight at night, so not a huge swing at all and nothing too out of the ordinary. But it could get nasty very quickly, so we're, we're prepared for that. So yeah, something like a temperature compensated quartz will be my first choice. I'll take some pretty basic sports watches too. Probably take my Lavender Sumarine, I reckon. That's what I want to say. Maybe yeah. That could be a nice one. It's oh, a okay. nice one. It's on the rubber, uh, so it's very comfortable, like even if it gets yeah. super cold. So, cool. Yeah, that's the plan. So in addition to following sports, we also collect sports jerseys, and we've brought a few of them with us to the studio to show you. Now, like I say, if you're listening to this pod, make sure you take time to check it out on fratellowatches.com because... There are some beautiful things to be seen here. I just spoke about the Cardinals. This is Carson Palmer's jersey. He's now retired, unfortunately. He was um, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play for the franchise. And, uh, yeah, personal favorite of mine. Didn't quite live up to the heights of Kurt Warner that preceded him, but 
still an awesome player and much missed. Why don't you tell us about your favourite jersey or one of your favourite players, shall we say, that's hanging on the wall right yeah. behind you? We talked about most of these jerseys in the past, I yep. guess. But um, this one, this is a white um, Dream Team jersey from 1992, number nine. If you know, if you follow the Dream Team or if you followed the Dream Team back in 1992 in the Barcelona Olympics, then you know that this is Michael Jordan's number. He was number nine. So that's a, a vintage uh, champion jersey. Uh, I think I heard somewhere that that's the more common version. The blue right. is is well at least in from the champion edition it's pretty rare but this is i haven't seen too many of these in good condition that's pretty good uh condition so that's that's my favorite one it's a bit of a see-through jersey so if you want to go <laughs> sexy then you can uh you can wear that one but uh yeah that's uh i have a bunch of jordans black ones red ones and this is uh this is a cool one the white uh u.s dream team jersey and what size is that this is XL. I think this is European uh, edition. So obviously every champion, vintage champion, you have an EU version and you have the American versions. The right. EU is the one that's uh, like screen printed. screen printed into the material. Right, right. And the American ones are printed on it. So they tend to flake off. This one usually won't flake off. Okay. Is it uh, screen printed or sublimated? One it's, of the I two think this one is sublimated and the American ones are screen printed. Uh-huh, but we'll, uh-huh. we'll see, about the, about, I the, see, oops, I see. about the next ones. You know, my uh, my brother actually has a, a youth size version of the blue one. That's for sure. Um, I'm not sure what size it is. Probably a smaller or medium youth. Yeah, so that's just like that's a, a rare one. That's a child size one, yeah. so I guess it wouldn't fetch too much even on the resale market. But he's got a couple of good jerseys because you know he's got that lovely yeah. sewn one that we talked about previously in the show. So, um, what have I got? Have I got a basketball yeah, jersey? Oh, look at this! So that's European, you see, because it's. This is sublimated, right? Yeah, so that exactly. means that it's actually the, the ink is like turned into a gas at high temperature and then it is like fused with yeah. the material. So they are all one. So they don't fade in the same way. They don't come off. Right? They don't crack. So yeah. you can have like vinyl, you can have screen print and you can have sewn numbers. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I don't. Oh, we've got one sewn example. We'll yeah. talk, oh, no, we've got a couple actually. We've got your roof jersey as well, which we'll talk about in a moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're the, they're the sort of three or four different ways you can have it done. And uh, yeah, this stuff like the I've got a, in my hands here. I have a early two thousands New York Knicks Spreewell jersey that I used to play in uh, when I played for Glossop. Did you wash it though? Uh, I've washed I've washed this one. Yeah, maybe mm. around two thousand seven. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you I, tell? No. Must, yeah, I can. Musty. No, it's fresh. This one's fresh. Mm-hmm. Super fresh. Okay. Um, they don't actually. You know what? That's a good thing. If you do have uh, a collection of jerseys, make sure you store them in a good a good. Uh, temperate environment you don't want to put them in an attic for too long because they do really take on like uh, yeah. that kind of musty damp smell if you leave them in a bad part of your house and these are actually fetching quite the sun these days not particularly this one but yeah no one's really too bothered about this but i won't not sell yet. this you know i was not i don't really have like a real basketball team that i follow i'm not a diehard fan sometimes i say i'm a warriors fan because i yeah. you know i got into watching them just as they took off under the You're under steve kerr riding the bandwagon well that was my problem with it, actually when they got good i was like oh i feel like an absolute shill so i decided to go back to the knicks who i supported from i guess 98 when i first went to new york or 99 whenever it was so that is my basketball offering uh what else do you have from the basketball sphere to show us i think this is interesting we definitely talked about this (laughs) this is not really a an actual jersey i mean it is a jersey but it isn't when i went to the season opening home season opening of the nets in 2019 they gave these jerseys out 
And I thought, when I saw it on the post, I said, wow, that's really cool. We're going to get a, a Kyrie Irving jersey, speaking of Kyrie. Um, this is their version of a Kyrie Irving jersey. Uh, you have Kyrie Irving's name and number on the back, and obviously the, the company that sponsored the, the season opening, which was against the Knicks, by the way. Well, that's screen printed. Yeah, that's screen printed, like, that like all the American jerseys. So that's more of a memory than anything else, this little black jersey. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool because... As I told you, I've, I've been in the game, get the jersey, uh, watched them from the fourth, fourth or fifth row. Isn't so that the game when Spike Lee was present? Spike Lee was there, Fat Joe was there, uh, Tracy Morgan was there, uh, who else? Uh, haven't seen Jay-Z, I think he wasn't there. But um, yeah, Spike Lee was funny because I told you in one of the episodes that he said he doesn't want any VIP treatment. Right, But right. he was sitting next to the Knicks bench and he left with the Knicks through the tunnel. Yeah. Okay, uh, it was in Brooklyn, not in not at the, not at the, not at the garden, but still. He was, was pretty pretty VIP. He's pretty I'm VIP. Concerned. But I mean, come on, you know, I like I like the whole visible sports fan thing and I think he's a great ambassador he for is, fandom. Definitely. He and, is. He's uh, a cool guy. Yeah, he deserves respect. Talking of respect, I have another one here. Look, I brought it. It's my Nationals jersey. 2009 World Series champions. That, that's also stitched. Yeah, this is stitched. So this is a this Just is a really my... nice one. This is Majestic. Who yeah. don't Majestic doesn't make um, the jerseys for the MLB anymore. It is uh, Nike, isn't it? It's Nike now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, one of the worst things about Nike getting the sponsorship deal was for the very first time in the history of baseball, the manufacturer's logo was on the chest on the front of the jersey. There used to be a tiny little Majestic logo on mm-hmm. the arms occasionally. Yeah, there's one here, like in Flock. So that, actually, talking about printing styles, that is um, heat-sealed flock. So that's like a kind of uh, adhesive-backed material that you press at about 140 degrees and it just stays on there. Again, you have to be careful washing stuff like that because it doesn't last as long as the sublimated gear. Probably dry, uh, dry clean it. It's better dry clean it. Yeah, probably should. To. I actually got some... Uh, Ketchup. I don't know what it is, but there's something suspicious and red on the W, and uh, I have washed it a couple of times since, but... I don't know. Um, the beer and apparently grape juice was flowing thick and fast when the Nationals beat the but that's Astros. But that's a no-name jersey. No it's name a no-name jersey. I bought this in 2013 when I was in Washington visiting my best friend over there. Of course, it was before I met you. Sure. Because now you're my best friend. Yeah, obviously. And um, yeah, I, I never on. buy names on jerseys if I can help it. Um, I think we take a very different approach on that front. I often just buy blank team jerseys. Yeah. Unless it's a very specific moment I'm trying to commemorate. And I have something like that that is here right now. But and before we'll we go into that. that, before we go into that, tell us about this fine baseball jersey. Yeah, that's a, a Babe Ruth uh, Yankees jersey, the pinstripe. I mean, if you know Babe Ruth, uh, number three, it's also, a, uh, you know what I'm talking about. He's also a, um, it's also a stitched jersey with mm-hmm, the logo mm-hmm. in the front. It's also majestic. Um, I got this from a friend in New York. Um, and yeah, this is a special jersey for that. I've never been to the games, the New York Yankee games, but I plan on next time in New York. But uh, I guess, yeah, when you want an, an, uh, a baseball jersey, it's Yankees, right? Well, it's a bit one, of a no-brainer. One of an obvious choice. 27 World Series uh, seems to make it an easy choice. Yeah. I personally think if I were a neutral buying a, a ball jersey now, I would probably go with the San Diego Padres. Uh, yeah. Not the whites, not the browns. I'd go with the the light brown or the tan mm. pinstripe with yeah. the the friar yeah. patch on the sleeve. That's a that's a fine looking thing, and yeah. that's kind of your real team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was a gift. I didn't choose it. So, but well, it's I'm, a classic, and it came from New York from a friend in New York. So obviously, this was a 
all is forgiven. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump onto another team, another well, another uh, league. Yeah. This is the NHL. This is my um, Marc Andre Fleury jersey from the inaugural season of the Las Vegas, or should I just say, sorry, Vegas, Vegas. Golden Knights. Um, Fleury was the keeper right from the expansion team's debut. And he carried them all the way to the Stanley Cup in their first season. This is a Stanley Cup branded jersey, so it has the patch on the chest. I spent hours in the stadium uh, in Las Vegas trying on these jerseys until I found the right fit. And I love it. It's an Adidas uh, fully authentic. I think it's an Adi Zero. Is it like uh, the exact copy of the one they're wearing yeah. on the game? Yeah, they ha it even has like your, um, you know, the mm -hmm. attachment yeah. for all your, your pads and your gear and whatnot. So it's, it's something kind of special. And I had to buy it that year because, you know, it was, as I said, to commemorate that memory. And Fleury for me was the cornerstone of the Knights. And I am absolutely devastated that he was traded in the middle of the night to the Chicago Blackhawks this year. But hopefully he continues. There's a lot of things going on with the Chicago Blackhawks recently. There's a lot of things there's going on. There's a lot. Let's not get into that. But oh. there's a new coach. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, we need a, we need another podcast to discuss that. Let's discuss something that Google fuses that. our love of sports jerseys yes. and watchmaking. But let's just yes. got something pretty weird that you'll probably not have seen before. Yeah, this is not an American league. Well, on American sports, this is a soccer jersey or sort of, or so you would think. That's the Unimatic uh, football or soccer jersey made by Mihara Yashuhiro. Um, this is something that Unimatic, the watch company from Italy, is selling on their website. And okay. they were gracious enough to send a jersey to uh, to York, to me, to Mike. There's also one, I think, for a giveaway later on. And it's basically a, a black um, shirt or T-shirt looking jersey um, that kind of mimics a football or a soccer jersey. But it's really not. It's just a, it's just a, a Unimatic Soccer jersey. So it's something a logo that looks something like an Alfa Romeo, isn't it? Very much. It makes me, yeah, it makes me think of exactly that actually. And obviously the colours remind me of Juventus. It's yeah. a very strangely um, put together jersey. Actually, we talked about printing since we since we're on that subject. We might as well carry on with it. It has a stitched, um, woven label down here. This yeah, is that's a the label, label of the designer. Label. Yeah. So this is a kind of cool addition because this marks it as like a fashion item as much as it is a sports thing. Mm -hmm. This is actually vinyl. Mm -hmm. So this is applied in the same way as the flock and not the same way as the screen print or as the stitched logos. And this is sublimated. Yeah. Now, the worst thing about like sublimation of light colors onto dark backgrounds, or actually it's all the black is sublimated normally into the white jersey, into the white jersey is that you sometimes get a bit of color bleed. And you can see that. It's not the sharpest print. You can see it's incredibly sharp on the vinyl, yeah. but this does not wash as well as the sublimation, which is present again with this kind of cool target was it the uh, Unimatic logo, logo yeah. yeah right on the back and then at the bottom we have again this is the name of the designer right yeah and that's vinyl also and then you have this little patch on the shoulder oh sweet which is just like a, a splash yeah a splatter very nice so that's a that's a, a soccer or football european football jersey speaking of which of course i had to crank out my uh, manchester united jersey with the worst applied premier league champion patches that you have ever seen so i i, I don't buy many united jerseys because i'm particularly picky about sponsors and there's a new one right this 
No, there is a newer version. There is a newer with version. With a different... Uh, oh, there's been several new... This is, this is 10 years old. This okay. is... I mean, this is this must have been the 2014 <laughs> jersey, maybe, because it has the champion patches, and the last time we won the league was 2013. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess this is 2014. Michael Owen wore this jersey in one of his couple of seasons with the club. It's gorgeously made. It's got these beautiful, like, um, inside cough piping so you can turn the sleeves up to match it with the collar is that Nike? yeah yeah it is it is it's 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 probably in my opinion the best looking man united jersey ever um it's not the most classic it's not the one that you'd like remember united for the most like the mm -hmm. 94 95 away kits that like the sort of green gold splits like, sharp yeah sharp is the best sponsor yeah. really like now we've got team viewer and it's it's better than chevrolet in some ways in that it's only like one color but it's um Horribly imbalanced, you know. Mm. It's got like the big logo on one side, yeah. this big square logo, and this really weedy writing Awful. thereafter. Yeah, it's shocking. It ruins like okay, the home kit is really boring. That uh, third kit, the blue and white one, that could be okay if it had a better sponsor. If it had Aon in red, it would look top. So I went to the uh, Sports Direct and I bought my jersey, and I, I decided that this was going to be my United jersey, and I was just going to have it for many, many years. And I asked them to put the Premier League badges on there, and this is supposedly done by a professional. And there's about an inch difference, like from the arm. And I'm a watchmaker who, like, has a fit when he goes into a, a pub with bad tiling on the walls when it's a couple of millimeters off, like 20 feet above my head. And uh, this knocked me sick. I didn't realize he just bundled it into a bag and gave it to me and I walked out of the shop and when I got home and I put it on, I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. Look at that. You know, the trials and tribulations of sports just buying nonsense. Awful. God. That's oh, awful. I have to roll the sleeves all the way up to the top. Like, or know. just cut them off. I could you cut them that. off. That's not a bad look. Do, you remember that, look. do you remember that Cameroon jersey that had no sleeves? Like yeah. It was officially yeah, designed yeah, with no yeah, sleeves, yeah. but then they made them put tiny little yeah. like like black half, cap sleeves half on. Half sleeves, yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. It was a good jersey before they ruined it with that. Okay. Now we've got something really special. We've got something very exciting for you. This is Balaj's personal baby, um, his favorite part of his collection. Um, not your actual baby. Like, yeah, no. No. I don't have a baby. He doesn't have a baby. Instead, he has a collection of, you don't know, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> He'd be right here. Talking to people that may have more children than they realize around the world, why don't you tell us about the subject of your favorite jersey collection. All right, so for some reason, uh, in the 90s, I really liked the Chicago Bulls, like many people, but what I'm to say is for some reason, everybody was into Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and I was into Dennis Rodman. Um, so I started to collect his jerseys, and I have a few missing, but I brought a few with me. This is uh, the Spurs uh, jersey, the Black Spurs jersey. It's also vintage champion. You can see how old it is. Oh, wow. The logo is not stitched. It's still this... Uh, Printed. This is an American jersey because it's size 44 instead of L. Yeah. And that's the black version. The The white one is even rarer than the black. So um, you can find the black from time to time. The, the, the white one, I haven't seen. Maybe we've seen it once or twice. Um, because he only played a few seasons with the Spurs and then he was traded to the Bulls. So that's pretty rare. But speaking of rare, behind us you will see... The Dallas jersey. I think, I'm not sure how long he played for Dallas. Skinny, do you know? A few weeks, maybe? I think he only, yeah, only played a few weeks for Dallas. But they also made champion jerseys for him in Dallas. Blue and white. This one, I have seen maybe two or three before. It's quite expensive to get. It's also a vintage champion. And the white ones are impossible to find. And last but not least, 
right above your head, below your head, or be behind your head, is the yellow Rodman 73 Lakers jersey um, before Dallas, but after the Bulls, he played for the Lakers. So there's yellow jerseys and purple jerseys. I have both. I have the yellow with me. Um, so I'm still missing a few. But these are, I think these are pretty cool. The Spurs one, the Dallas one, and the Lakers one. And uh, yeah, speaking of Lakers, speaking of Los Angeles. I have a trivia question for you. Go for it. Why are the Los Angeles Lakers called the Los Angeles Lakers? Because they're not from Los Angeles. Where would one find many lakes? A lake district. What, in England? Yeah, there are a lot of lakes in yeah, the lake district. The, like Cumbria doesn't have an NBA team. That's not what you asked. All right, okay, try and focus. Like, okay, here's another clue. Okay. The Chicago. uniform. No, Chicago. Detroit. No, Chicago. <laughs> no, Chicago, it's Detroit. not Chicago. It's not Detroit. It's the Minneapolis. You're getting closer. It's the Minneapolis. <laughs> okay, that's Minneapolis. right. Minneapolis, right. Minnesota, the state of Minnesota. Yep. You might notice that the Minnesota Vikings play in the same colors as the right. Los Angeles Lakers. True. Purple, purple and gold. And, gold. Yep. and that is not a coincidence at all. That is because those two teams originated in the same state, um, the great northern states of Minnesota, right. which is one of the only NFL teams to have a state as uh, the name. Rather than a city. Arizona, of course, oh, is yeah? in there as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Uh, so, I mean, both True. New York teams, but... You get New York Giants, you get New York Giants, you should get... Yeah, but, yeah, but they come from the city, not from the and state. And also, like, yeah. kind of New Jersey, really. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Minnesota Vikings are home to a very special young player when it comes to the world of watchmaking. Oh, yeah. And that is... Justin. Justin Jefferson. Who should come and talk to us on the Wasp podcast. It's actually kind of a miracle that he hasn't already checked in with us. So, Justin, we're, we're waiting for you, man, because we're a big fan of a similar brand to you. My Angelus is ticking, Justin. My, his <laughs> Angelus is ticking. Um, I hope yours is too. Wear it in good health. Here's a reason for you to come and visit us on Wasp. Balaj has brought with him a nice, what is it, a portfolio? Yeah, it looks like. Of Angeli... Is that the plural of ang I don't know, Angelususes? Angelususes. Angelus chronographs for your pleasure. Yeah. So you've seen this. Um, Holy we've not smokes. Deep into. Oh, wow. So yeah, we have um, most of my, not all of them, but. Janie yeah. Marcus, this is something else. What a nice presentation as well. I like the way, how close they are. I don't like. Thank okay, you. so you. Uh, They're not going to fall out. I'm not going to fall out. No, so you, you uh, so for viewers of the video. Get a load of that. And for listeners of the podcast, get home quickly and get on your laptop or your desktop, smart TV, smartphone, whatever it is, wherever you consume such content and get a load of this. This isn't even, there's that's, another layer to yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, the other side is not Angus. Okay, okay. Only. We'll focus on this. So one, two, three, four, five, ten, ten Angulus watches. Um, Mostly chronographs. Eight chronographs. Yeah. Oh, man. So, okay, talk us through, right? Give us a little bit of an overview and then maybe break down your top three if you know how to choose between your children. Okay. So I have um, basically four types of watches. Um, we have the chronographs. So we have a 210, 215, and 215. These are all in-house calibers from Angelus. Okay. This is my very first Angelus. This is the LE, the Legi area, the Air Force One, Air Force Watch. Uh, you can see the LE on the case back. 
Okay, okay. Um, this was my first Angelou. So that that that's that means Air Force property, like yeah, it's the same one as as uh, the Grana. The Grana right, okay. was in the Second World War, and this came afterwards in the fifties. Uh huh. So this is my first one, and then I got another one, which has a very cool story, which I'll get into uh, maybe at another time. Um, it, it's it's pretty much a barn find. Um, and Come on, then, get into it now. Tell us about the story. So basically, uh, a friend of mine got in touch with me, and he said, "There's a guy who has a watch like that." And um, he wants to ask you a few questions. Do you mind if I forward your email? I said, no problem, sure. So the guy gets in touch with me and he says, well, I told your friend that uh, this is my grandfather's watch, but I kind of lied. Um, it's not really my grandfather's watch, but I tell you how I got the watch. I bought an apartment in Budapest. And if you know uh, Budapest, the Danube, you know, cuts the city in half and the left side is Buda and the right side is Pest. So mm -hmm. the city... Is Pest where all the magic happens and where mm -hmm. the revolution happened and blah, blah, blah. And so he lived in Pest and he bought an apartment and he went down to the cellar and he wanted to empty the cellar and there was an old kitchen cabinet mm -hmm. in the cellar. So he called the old owner and he said, hey, um, I need you to move this stuff. You know, I bought the apartment. I want to clear stuff out. And the guy said, well, the apartment was my dad's and uh, he died. He passed away. We sold it. I don't care what's in the cellar. Just throw everything out. So he opened the kitchen cabinet and he does old paints and all kinds of stuff in it and old tools. And he opens this box and there is an old Russian watch in the box. There's an old, um, I think like a Kazi or something. Uh, there's a bunch of military medals and military ID books. No. Um, and then there's this watch. Holy. And so I did, I did extensive research on these watches and this serial number, um, the first three digits... Um, we knew that those watches belonged to the military, but they're unmarked because uh -huh. they were not given to the Air Force. They were given to um, some other departments. And him having a watch with this serial number and a bunch of military ID books confirmed that these watches did actually end up um, with, with military personnel, even though it was not Air Force. So that's why there's no markings on the back. Crazy. So it's, it's important for that reason. And um, it was in pretty sorry condition. A friend of mine helped to bring it back to, to life. Um, so he had the watch and I told him, hey, listen, uh, I like the watch. If you want to sell it, you know, it, I'm, I'm interested. I gave him a fair price and that's it. No answer. And so a month passes, no answer. Two months passes, no answer. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm a bit pissed because every time somebody finds my articles on Fratello about Angelus, they send me a message. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, what do you know about this watch? Yada, yada, yada. I helped them out. Um, I don't want to buy every watch, but in this case, I asked him. It'd be nice to get first refusal, you know, right. as long as you're paying a fair price. Right, right? But, so. but really, I never really told anyone that I want to buy the watch. And this time I did, and they never replied. So I'm like, okay, word. Two months after that, out of the blue, he sends me an email and he says, you know what, um, I really wanted to keep this watch, but I'm a, um, I don't even know what his profession was, but he said, the watch is very delicate. I probably won't be able to wear it. I'm sorry I was traveling. I couldn't back, get back to you. Um, I want to sell you the watch for the price you offered. So a friend of, well, a friend of ours, Jolt in Budapest, mm. um, I told him, hey, bring the watch to him. He'll pay you the money. Jolt paid the money. He got the watch and... He helped me uh, put the watch back in. Do you want to tell our viewers and listeners about Jolt and where you? Jolt, he has a vintage shop in Budapest called uh, Ten Ora Ten. So that's ten as a number, O R A Ten again as a number. He specialized in vintage watches as well as 
design stuff you were wearing his t-shirt yeah yeah i've got uh ikra you know the hungarian brand that i frequently wear on videos and podcasts and Mm -hmm. whatnot and um, i have a bunch of those t-shirts and the rucksack and i even have the um what do you call it belt fanny pack the fanny pack yeah bum bag yeah 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 i I have that as well i have that here with me i absolutely love that stuff. right so he sells design stuff from hungary as well as vintage watches and and he helped me put the watch back into its former glory so that's a That's that. And then I have a bunch of uh, chronodatos, which okay. is basically based on a 215 caliber with the additional triple um, triple date um, complication. This is gorgeous. So these are one, two, three, four, five. All of them are chronodatos. And they're interesting because this is a steel model. This is a gold-plated model. This is a um, private label model for Argentina huh. called Grand Rex. And these two are the solid gold versions. This is just something else. I mean, yeah, can if we you get take it out? it out, you can see the case back, has a marking on it. German, okay, goodness. Ralph, Ralph, does that say Ralph yeah. Sayer? I think Germany it's, and yeah. this? That's it, and I got it from Sweden, funnily enough. Uh-huh, so these uh-huh. are solid gold versions. They made them in steel, in gold plate, and in solid gold. I don't know how well you can see this, but um, we'll try and get a picture of it for you because this is, this is heaven. This is, this is, um, This is a great reason to start collecting, or maybe stop collecting, uh, Angular's watches. Does it get much better than this? Where does this rank? Um, in the Chronodato looks is much better. It's the same with uh, with the moon phase indication, uh-huh, uh-huh. but it's much smaller. This, these are all 38 millimeter watches, so they're they're pretty good. Um, they must have been really big in their day, right? Oh, I yeah. mean, they must have been seen as like enormous. I mean, this is the 40s, right? The early 50s, late 40s. You can imagine the 1940s. Every watch was like 34, 35, and you're having these 38 millimeter. Solid gold monstrosity on your ri- monstrosity. In <laughs> so this is wrist. like an old school Hublot, basically. Yeah, you could, yeah, so, you could yeah, say that. So, okay, uh, so. Only much more sophisticated, if you ask me. Um, That's for sure. And then uh, I have the 216, which is the time-only caliber. This is also in-house, which is big jumbo case. It's a 37 millimeter uh, case. Mm-hmm. And um, then I have the alarm, which is uh, an alarm. It's an AS movement. It's mm-hmm. not Angelus. And then this is a 210, a little chronograph with the fixed lugs, uh, only in 35 millimeter steel case. So I have 210, 215, 216, 217 calibers. They don't make many 35 millimeter chronographs anymore, right? I mean, it's a pretty rare thing to I, find. I don't, I don't think so. Charles has another one in uh, in Budapest. He has a Breitling Premier in his shop right now at 35 millimeters, which is a nice looking yeah. piece. I uh, I got my eye on that one as well, to be honest, and uh, seeing this stuff. I mean, this is in crazy good condition, right? Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff is just gorgeous. The dials, in in some cases, the dials look absolutely box fresh. Like this one, the gold-plated version, I got this in the US and it was not working. And I took it to my watchmaker, he opened it, and there was a dead spider inside the case. This is the dead spider watch? Remember I sent you a picture? Yeah, I remember seeing the guy, you know, curled up in the corner. That's the one, yeah. But do you think that it had the dead spider might have saved it? Because this this dial is absolutely box fresh. Really, there is some mild patination on the right hand side of it, but incredibly fine considering its age. Do you think the fact that the spider got in there and died, yeah, could in fact have saved this watch from like exposure to the sun and absolutely. usage? You know, it's I been think I think drawer. somebody just yeah somebody just took it off. Oh, it's not working. Put in a drawer and that's it. Because it looks like it hasn't been touched in years and even the case. And it was sold as non-working and I said, you know, I'll buy it. I, it was a couple hundred bucks. I said, even if it's not no. working, yeah. I can I can maybe use the parts in one of the other watches. And I took it to the watchmaker and he said, hey, this is this is working. You have to clean it out. 
There's just a dead spider inside. Dead spider, clean it out, bit of oil, bit of air. Take it apart, put it together, and it's working. They don't prepare you for that in watch school, that's for sure. Nope. I have just noticed something yeah. um, about this watch in particular, which reminds me. There's this one right here. Mm -hmm. This one right here is the interesting one, the one with the dead spider. Mm -hmm. Let me just have a quick look at your other ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Now, every so often, you will notice on pilot watches in particular, pilot chronographs, some of the minute markers on the three o'clock minute counting subdial for the chronograph are elongated. Generally, we see these elongated markers at three, six, and nine. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons, or the reason which you we mean most three minutes, six here, minutes, nine minutes, three minutes, six minutes, yeah. nine minutes. So the five and ten and fifteen yeah. are also, and the twenty and twenty-five are also marked. But those yeah. those little marks that would normally just be tiny little short stubby marks yeah. are drawn out almost to the center of the dial. Now, it isn't so much that there's disagreement about what these markings were made for. It's just that it's a little bit unclear as yeah. to where they originated. Now, the most common explanation that Balaj and I have heard thus far is that they are used to track the time of phone calls. Telephone calls, right. Right, so on old pay phones. Now, it is pretty um, easy to imagine that if a pilot were to go down in his craft um, he were, and he found himself in an unfamiliar land, he would find his way to a phone and call a number of uh, someone that might be able to come and help him or pick him up or tend to injuries or whatever. And so it makes some kind of sense that a pilot would need this function. However, I was... Or, or anyone, sorry. Who or, had... Oh, yeah, or anyone, right. But, you know, when these, when these markings originated, they were on these specific models, right? Right. And funnily enough, I have not seen these markers on time-only watches, only on chronographs, whereas... You can measure, uh, you could measure um, somehow with a second hand, you know, the running second hand. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose you could. I suppose you could. Or you could have like a rotating bezel that was yeah. like a pr prominently displayed one, two, and three minutes. Right. Like uh, that could work as well. I'm not sure which, uh, I mean, how uh, you're talking about, what was the chronograph you mentioned earlier? The Blanc Pan. The Blanc Pan, right. Command. So you don't only see it on Angelus. You see it on many no. different models. No, no, no. It's, so it's, it's a, it's a common-ish trait of pilot watches um, of this era. And even later, I believe I've seen some uh, Zenith El Primero models with, with these markings, even though that they came a little bit after the era we're talking about. Um, while I was reading about the Blanc Pan Air Command just last week, I read an interesting justification for these markings, which made a kind of sense. But um, not as much as I think Blancpain intended it to at the time, because they were saying that these markings were used to assist pilots in ground speed calculations at speed, using just their chronograph and the tachymeter scale. And that is because three minutes is one twentieth of an hour, six minutes is one tenth, and in this magazine they pointed out that 12 minutes was one fifth. Mm -hmm. That's all well and good. I totally agree with all of that, and 15 minutes is one quarter, so it could also be a useful um, integer to extend if it weren't already marked by the number 15 normally mm -hmm. except i'd never really seen a three six and 12 marking i'd only ever seen three six and nine yeah i noticed on your models here though this one and this one both have and this one all three have three six nine and 12 marked on them true this one doesn't I don't think this one mm. just goes three six nine unless there's just a date hand in the way Underneath, of the yeah. twelve. So basically, this, this kind, one too. 
This one has four markings. Brilliant. Okay, so this one doesn't have any, this one, right? This one, I think this is faded. But it might have had some? Might have had some, but I can't see it yet. So this, to me, starts to make a little bit more sense for the uh, pilot ground speed calculation than the telephone call. Because, like, the telephone call thing sounds like an almost post hoc justification for it when the original intention of it was forgotten. And given that the Blancpain Air Command was one of the first, like, pilot chronographs, and we know basically nothing about its origin because Blancpain has no paperwork, they don't even know for sure where the design or the order for it or the, even the name of it came from. They believe it came from Alan V. Tornick, who was their sales representative in the States because of a movie that was released at the same time that featured the words Air Command. Um, and that seems too much of a coincidence given his sway over the company and the product development side of it at the time to just to be just that, to be a coincidence. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to see. I would love to see and explore more. I still don't know what the, the nine minute one is a real, that's a real stickler for me. Cause like, what is the nine, what is nine minutes really? Like there's no, it's not a really useful fraction, is it? And to be honest, while these two are actual black faced, you know, two sub dial pump pusher, big case, uh, uh, chronographs for pilots could be used as, pi as pilots chronographs. These watches are more dress watches, right? Like a solid gold case, gold, gold uh, applied index, triple calendar watches. Yes, there is a chronograph function, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the sole purpose of these watches were probably not to fly with them or not necessarily true, to fly. True, true. I'm not sure. Um, so it could be a design feature that or using these watches and then just, you know, the, the dial maker. I don't know who made these hours, to be honest. Look, I guess what I'm interested in more than anything is the origin of it rather yeah. than what it maybe became used for over time. So I'm totally willing to believe uh, this watch features this scale because it's useful for making calls on oh, a payphone. Yeah. yeah, I totally, totally would buy that. But I mean, a lot of things that we take for granted now as... Uh, essential design elements of a watch I mean, like a tachymeter scale for example on yeah. a chronograph were originally used for like a purpose that is now like had been overtaken by other measuring instruments and whatnot so i'd just be keen to find out more i would definitely like to work with Blancpain a little bit more on finding out something about the air command history because it's fascinating so this one has a tachymeter scale right okay so like this is this is the one that's closest to an actual pilot's watch then and well no it's not got the black dial but we have all yeah all the other features. This is gorgeous, isn't it? This one that you, you yeah. got from the seller. I can't stop looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Angelus had some other devices that they used uh, to measure telephone calls. There's a, a little clock device yeah. called the Teleco, which was, or is, I, I have one as well. It's a little round clock with a time-only feature mm -hmm. and a sub-dial at the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock position, I'm not sure. And there's a chronograph hand with a pusher at 12. And you would use these on, on old rotary phones and you would kind of attach it to the middle of the phone um, with little screws. And you can basically, uh, you could start the phone call, hit the chronograph button, it would start measuring the time. And then as you were on the phone, you could see the, the elapsed time basically of your phone call. And then once you were done, you would hang up the phone and you would reset the chronograph. So it had a, um, a central minute counting chronograph hand, right? Yes, exactly. And the pusher at the 12. So basically you, you would see the time just like a regular clock and it had like a, um, 
a crown and with these three little hinges you would screw them onto the the rotary phone in the mm-hmm, middle of it mm-hmm. and when you dial the number you push the the the, the, the push button at the, t- at the 12 and then the chronograph hand starts running so it moves one um one oh it just does the jump basically every minute yeah so there's a going seconds subdial around 10 o'clock yeah, that's a running seconds. Yeah, and then the crown is opposite that. Crown at is like at four o'clock. Four o'clock, five o'clock. Yeah. So we think that the movement has been like rotated, kind of like a pocket so. watch one, yeah. and then there's an extra lever on the inside to move yeah. the pusher to twelve, so it can exactly. be pressed. And the and the 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 chronograph hand would move from zero to one minute in one minute, and then in another minute it will move to two, and it will move to three, and that's how it would measure. Okay. The okay. the the. The length of a telephone call. Yeah, it's it, it could well be the very reason. Uh, it could be the origin story of it. It could be it could be something that was grafted onto an original, more like pilot-specific purpose. We need to do more research. We need to keep digging. We need to find out the first ever example of these triple segments, and then figure out where the idea came from. Did the segments come from the idea for the phone calls, or did the phone call idea come from the segments? Uh, yeah, it's it's a good question. I don't know. To be honest, this teleco. Uh, device you don't really see many around i've seen probably i've seen four in my life i own one a friend owns two and another friend owns one jeez and that's it and there's there's not much info on it but i know that the teleco was designed to measure phone calls because we have the original um i guess the the patent uh document from from switzerland and it actually shows a phone on the wall and how it's applied to the phone and then it measures the time. So that's definitely made for phone calls to measure. Do you have the phone though? Uh, No. No. Well, you need need an old, old 50s rotary phone where the middle has this little bevel basically. It fits perfectly in the bevel and with the screws, as you screw it in, these little hinges come out. Little flares. Yeah, and basically, yeah, they basically grab this this bevel. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I am going to search for one of those for your next birthday. Old phones. See your 50th. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for spending so much time with us here in Karlsruhe and our very first live Wasp show. And we had quite a lot of watches to talk about for once as well. I hope you enjoyed the jerseys, our roundup of the major American sports leagues, and of course, this fascinating collection. If you know anything about the final discussion that we were just having then about the three, six, nine, sometimes 12 segments on chronograph subdials, please get in touch. Until next time, stay safe and keep on ticking.